Till Death Do Us Part is a lighthearted and sometimes satirical true crime podcast where we present our dysfunctional married take on serious cases involving other dysfunctional relationships. We hope you enjoy. You ready? Ready. Hello, and welcome to Till Death Do Us Part. I'm Daniel. And I'm Melissa. Are you ready for Christmas? Yep. Are you? I can't wait. (laughs) What are you excited about? What did you ask Santa for this year? Nothing. I asked him for a cheaper grocery bill. Nope. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. Nope. We just got to eat less. (laughs) What? Yeah. Eat less and then the grocery bill goes down. Ugh. Not with two teenagers. We got to prep for the depression. (laughs) (laughs) we got to get like a goat and some chickens (laughs) start a little farm outside absolutely plant a garden yeah i built built you a garden thing you did i just my interest level isn't there yet even the weeds in it died they did oh well hope you all are faring better than us this holiday season i'm sure it's fine oh yeah Absolutely. No, the economy's good. Everything's fine. It's nothing, no, no big deal. Nothing to complain about. We're good. Nothing to see here. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a palate cleanser, aka bonus episode. That's the best. People seem to really like these. That's what you, you snack in between meals. That's palate cleanser. Is that what it is? Yep. So this is your little snack in between the meal. Ooh, that sounded a little sexual. Nope. Not at all? Well, some people like to eat while they're having an aerobics class. That's, I think that's a thing. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, like spray a little whipped cream. Yeah. That kind of stuff? Or like cheese whiz? I don't know. Sandwich? A little sandwich. Steak? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That sounds a little messy. That <laughs> sounds like bugs. <laughs> what is that movie with Melissa McCarthy? Bridesmaids. And they show, it's like the end. The the end credits. End credits, yeah. yeah. And they're sitting there like half naked and they're eating like a big sandwich. <laughs> that's so gross. That's her husband in real life, I know, too. I know. That's what makes it even funnier. But that's the scene. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, she's got like a huge three-foot sandwich. Yeah, it's like a, a foreplay. Or Ooh. in their case, it was a five-play because it was a big sandwich. It was a huge sandwich. Yeah. So there you go. Actually, not, I just realized how hungry I am right See. now. Mm. All right. Well, after Sometimes this, we'll go eat. a sandwich can get you in the mood, I guess, evidently. Well, I'm continuing my series where I'm reading that book called Till Death Do Us Part by Robbie Ludwig and some other guy. I forget his name. They are awesome, even though we don't know their names. Dang it. Bobby. No, I forgot his name. Hold, please. And we're back. It's Matt Birkbeck. Okay, Robert and Matt. No, not Robert. What was the first one? You said Robert, and then you can remember the second name. Robbie Ludwig. It's a girl. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Robbie just... Ludwig. Well, Robbie can be a guy. It can, yeah. Like Robbie Knievel. That's the evil Knievel's son. He's it... Robbie Knievel. That's true. Yeah, no, this is Dr. Robbie Ludwig and Matt Birkbeck. Okay. And they both wrote a book together called Till Death Do Us Part. It's about love, marriage, and the mind of the killer spouse. 
So on this episode, this is chapter eight, and we are doing the temper tantrum killer. Oh. I've never heard of this before. That's perfect. I think so, too. I feel like there's a lot of temper tantrums going on right now. A lot of adult temper tantrums. Agreed. Maybe even from us. Probably. (laughs) All right. Now, temper tantrums are usually reserved for those of a certain age. Mm -hmm. Usually children between the ages of two and four and sometimes as old as five. Now, for our spawn, it was, we used to call it the frickin' threes. But we didn't say frickin', we said the other word. Because those are way worse than twos. The annoying threes. Oh my gosh, they were so bad. But it is not uncommon, however, for immature adults to also have temper tantrums. Yep. Some adults never develop past the, the world revolves around me phase and can be particularly susceptible to acting out in this way. Combining this personality defect with frustrating and undesirable situations can lead to murder. Adults who suffer from a lack of control are diagnosed with intermittent explosive disorder, IED. Or IED is intermittent explosive diarrhea. (laughs) Is that real? Yes. No. Oh, no. No, it's not real. I just made it up. Well, IED is a psychological condition defined by extreme problems with impulse control. I think we all know adults like that. Mm. Yeah. And they are prone to aggressive outbursts under extreme duress. The stress is perceived as a threat, an insult, frustration, a vulnerability, or a combination of all of these. IED is primarily triggered when the person's perceived needs are not met. So to me, these are people who've never been told no. So they're an adult needy child. Yes. Spoiled. The temper tantrum killer has acquired experiences early in life when their bad behaviors were tolerated and the behaviors continue into adulthood. Oh, God. It is noted that a small percentage of these individuals develop the behavior suddenly without any prior history, but most of them are developed through childhood. That makes sense. And I do think that the case that I covered last week, which was David and Belinda Temple, I do think he was a temper tantrum killer. Oh. Because when reading this, it really hit on a lot of the points when it came to David Temple. Huh. I don't know. If those of you that listened to it, hit me up. Maybe you feel the same way, but listen to the rest of it. I could see that. I mean, knowing what a temper tantrum is. Right. The person suffering from IED is usually remorseful and immediately feels a sense of guilt after a rage-filled episode. But during the moment of the temper tantrum, they feel rehabilitated by the toxic release. So they feel like it's their right to do what they're doing. Okay. And Uh, like they're entitled. They're entitled to that. IED usually affects men. He will blame others for his behavior as a way to avoid and justify his guilt. And they tend to lose control only in their significant relationship. He tends to give emotional ultimatums to his significant other, expecting the spouse to think, behave, and respond in a very specific way. 
basically fulfilling all of their needs and wants. If the expectation is not met, then the tension within the relationship can increase and the individual's ability to maintain control is ultimately lost. And since the expectations are only placed on an intimate relationship and not on any other relationship, the irrational, immature, and sometimes abusive and violent behavior is solely expressed within the marital relationship. The difference between the temper tantrum killer and the narcissist killer is that the narcissist harms those who no longer fill their needs, and the temper tantrum killer having never developed a mature manner of reasoning during difficult and stressful situations, just explodes in a fit of rage when things do not go his way. When a series of undesirable or frustrating situations mix with this kind of personality defect, the combination can turn deadly. Such was the case of Dun, 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 Scott and Lacey Peterson. Do you know? Does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, that was uh, early 2000s, I think, right? Yes, it was. Now, we are California bred through and through. And this case... Whole wheat bread. Yeah, this case exploded in California, especially when you're living in the Bay Area or Central California in yeah. those areas. Yeah. It was just everywhere. So we were adults. I mean, we were considered adults during this time. I think this is why you know a little bit about this case. Yeah, it was on the news and stuff. You could hear it on the radio and they're talking about it. And you were living in the Bay Area during this time. No, I was working in the Bay Area. So I was commuting into the Bay Area every day for work. Well, that's what I meant. But you were living on the outskirts of the Bay Area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of the same thing. Yeah. I had like a 45 minute commute drive into um, the Bay Area. Lucky you. No, no, <laughs> not at all. That's awful. Yeah. It was awful. Hour and a half drive. No, it was, yeah. Hour and a half in the mornings. Yeah. It wasn't 45 minutes. It was an hour and a half. Ugh. You have PTSD thinking about it? A little bit. This was the tragic tale that captured the attention of the American public like no other. And I want to be honest with all of you and Daniel, I never intended to do this case. This was never a case that was on my docket of things to cover because honestly, it's been done so many times that I think it's actually taken on a narrative of its own, filled with a lot of opinions stated as facts. Things have been very twisted. And surprisingly, I have never been asked to cover this case. So I think maybe people have they've accepted they've it and accepted moved on. It. Yeah, and they yeah. listen to it when it comes out and there's so many great podcasts out there that have done this case. So really if you want more information than what I'm about to share with you, just go type it into the into the little search bar and everything mm. will pop up. If you want something that's not accurate, look it up on Wikipedia. Or that too. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get all the false information you need. <laughs> That's not true. Not everything on Wikipedia is false. No, actually, a lot of it. It's funny because when you compare Wikipedia to, say, like the books that I read, Mm -hmm. a lot of it is very much taken from books. Gotcha. So like people almost transcribe it and they kind of give you the Cliff's Notes version of a book on Wikipedia. So sometimes it's right. And sometimes you read it and you're like, oh, no, no, that that did not happen like that. Okay. 
Now, I'm going to share with you the case as written by the authors of the book, the Till Death Do Us Part book, but I'm also going to add in a few that they might have missed here and there and some updated facts because this book was written many years ago and some stuff has happened since then. Scott and Lacey were a beautiful couple whose marriage was sometimes described as the object of envy. But like most marriages that end in murder, under the picture-perfect facade was a dark and ugly truth that left the people closest to the Petersons questioning themselves. As a society, we are often fooled by not only attractive people, but by attractive couples. If they appear happy and beautiful, we are inclined to believe our eyes. Now, this happens all the time, especially with social media. That's interesting. It's true. Mm-hmm. You tend to give beautiful people, especially a power couple, because that's what you do. You elevate them to power couple status, even if you don't even know what's going on behind closed doors. Right. But then nowadays, people are sucked into the relationships of everyday average people on social media who have built a brand around their perfect marriage and their perfect looking white houses yep, and their blonde extensions and their cute husbands and their 2.3 children who are just running around and who put on a show every day, all day. And we're sucked into these relationships and elevate these people and put them on a pedestal and just think that they're perfect. And that's what our relationship should look like in real life when 90% of the time it's fake. Mm -hmm. So why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep elevating beautiful people? I don't know. Let's elevate hideous people. Yeah. (laughs) Now you got to define what what defines hideous. Nope, not going to. Not going to do it. Not touching that one. Nope, I'm going to get in trouble for that. So enter stage right, Scott and Lacey (laughs) Peterson. The beautiful couple. The couple met at Cal Poly in mid-1994. It wasn't hard to see why Lacey found Scott so appealing. He was handsome, sexy, confident, and extremely romantic. Scott swept the dark-haired and bubbly beauty with the infectious smile right off her feet. He'd be known now as what we refer to as a love bomber. He love-bombed anybody that he was with. So he would give them all the attention, buy them gifts, make his whole world around them. But once he fell out of love with you, it was over. Huh. So we call that now love bombing. Interesting. And that's a narcissistic quality. Scott had a magical way about him, and soon Lacey was in love. Every conversation between the couple seemed intense and intimate. Their connection was impossible for outsiders to miss, and Lacey felt adored and seen for the first time in a relationship. The couple married in 1997. Lacey was 22 and Scott was 25. It had been reported that Scott had a sexual affair with another woman within the first year of the Peterson marriage. So he was a habitual cheater. Well, he had to be sure that she was the one. Oh, he needed to try people on for size? In the first year, yeah. Mm, Okay. You know, just in case. (laughs) Jeez. No? No. No. 
He's a horrible person. In the year 2000, the couple moved to Modesto, California in Stanislaus County. Beautiful. And, <laughs> and bought their first home in Lacey's hometown. So Lacey was from Modesto. Okay. Guess where Scott was from? Um, Bakersfield. San Diego. Oh, uh-huh. lucky. <laughs> whale's vagina. Oh, the whale's <laughs> vagina. That's from Anchorman, yeah, just in case Viviana. some of you don't know. San Diego does not mean that. Will Ferrell. Hilarious. Scott took a job as a fertilizer salesman, and Lacey became a substitute teacher. He was making about $5,000 a month as a fertilizer salesman. So it wasn't that crappy of a job. No, it wasn't. He was actually doing relatively well for early 2000s. All right. Lacey was expecting the couple's first child in February of 2003, a little boy they were intending to name Connor. When she disappeared from their home on Christmas Eve of 2002, 29-year-old Scott told investigators that he had last seen 27-year-old Lacey at 9.30 that morning. She had told him that she was planning on grocery shopping later that day. He had left from their home in Modesto and traveled 90 miles to the San Francisco Bay to the Berkeley Marina, where he went fishing for sturgeon. On Christmas Eve. Right. In December. It was an hour and 27 minute drive. Huh. Yeah. That's weird. Can you picture this drive in your head? Oh, yeah. Now, what's between, say, Modesto and the San Francisco Bay? Is there any other bodies of water that he should have gone to? Yeah. And, okay, so here's the problem. Most people, well, you're not going to go sturgeon fishing in the San Francisco Bay. I don't know exactly where he claimed he went, but usually you're up in the sloughs that feed the San Francisco Bay, which is where the giant um, prehistoric sturgeon abide, abound. Right. They're not in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. No, not usually. Because there's a lot of boat traffic and all that stuff. They like to be, they're bottom feeders. So they're going to hide. Yeah, they got a bottom. Pretty much. So they're in the sloughs. They're in the brackish water, which on the, mostly the north end of the San Francisco Bay, there's a bunch of sloughs and which are like wide, I don't know what you call them, creeks, not creeks, because they're not like really flowing. So that's where most of that kind of fishing is. I know because I went sturgeon fishing in the San Francisco Bay sloughs and caught sturgeon. But you don't catch them in the middle of the bay. And he says he launched the boat from the Berkeley Marina. So when you look on the map, when you're looking north towards the sloughs, that's a long ways away in an aluminum boat. That's an extremely long way. You would never... I mean, I could be wrong. I'm not the expert fisherman by any stretch, but... Typically, they fish on the north end. But you went fishing for sturgeon Mm -hmm. in the San Francisco Bay, and you went into the sloughs. With a, yeah, and we had a a professional, basically, guide boat the whole nine. Right. Well, I was reading professional fishermen were talking about what Scott had said and the bait that he was using and the lines that he was using to fish for sturgeon. Yeah. And they said, no way. Yeah. No way that would happen. It's very specific. It's a very specific location, a specific time of the year, the whole nine. So if you were to go fishing and you lived in Modesto, would you drive all the way to the San Francisco Bay or where is there another place you would go? 
Yeah, you actually don't go that far. You would go to the Susun Slough and enter there. So you're not even launching into the bay. If you were just going to go fishing and you lived in Modesto and you only had an aluminum boat, where would you go? Would you go all the way to the San Francisco Bay? Probably not. I'd probably go to like Stockton. That's what I was thinking. Because they're, the waterways from the bay actually reach into Stockton. So that's a much shorter drive. And that's what I didn't understand. Why would he go all the way into San Francisco Bay for mm-hmm. sturgeon when he just wanted to go take out this brand new boat and go fishing? Why would he fish for sturgeon when he just could go to Stockton yeah. and go fishing for the for an hour or two? It's also possible that he didn't know. And he just went thinking that he would somehow magically catch a sturgeon in Berkeley. But I guess. It sounds weird. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And Berkeley is very kind of commercially. It's not. I don't know. It's just not a place you would think to go, especially with a small aluminum boat. Right. That's what I was thinking. No one. I No one would go to Berkeley for that. No. It just didn't make sense. Mm-mm. Okay. Well. At 2.15 that afternoon, Scott called Lacey and left her a voicemail saying, Hey, beautiful, it's 2.15. I'm leaving Berkeley. So he's driving home. Okay. When Scott returned home, he found Lacey's car in the driveway, but she was gone. She was not in the house. Scott went to neighbors' homes asking if anyone had seen Lacey. A couple of them had seen her walking their dog. But one said that around 10.30 a.m., the couple's golden retriever was out in the front yard unattended, so he put the dog back in the Peterson's backyard and closed the gate. Hmm. Lacey was then reported missing by 6 p.m. that evening. Found inside a closet in the home was Lacey's purse with her wallet, keys, and sunglasses inside along with her cell phone. So she didn't have any of her stuff. Who leaves the house and leaves all that stuff? Nobody. No. Even if you're going for a walk. You know, he was saying like maybe her mom came and picked her up, but she wouldn't have just left with her mom without any of her things. No. And a pregnant woman's not leaving with a pur- without a purse. Exactly. Because you got like a, a like kit in there, like survival kits. Well, your ID, makeup, your medical card. Yeah. <laughs> everything yeah. you need. And a cell phone. She's about ready to pop. She was due in February. Mm-hmm. She's going to need her cell phone in case something happens. Absolutely. A massive search ensued, including police and hundreds of volunteers. Lacey's family offered a $500,000 reward for any information on Lacey's whereabouts. Now, Scott played the role of the distraught husband, joining in on searches and giving interviews to keep the momentum going on his missing wife's case. In 2017, one of the lead investigators on the case told ABC News that he was immediately suspicious of Scott, saying, Scott's behavior was a strange combination of polite and arrogant, disaffectedly distant and impatiently irritable. He just didn't seem like a man who was crushed or greatly disturbed by his wife's disappearance and possible death. Immediately, they got this vibe from him. Hmm. But within weeks of Lacey missing, a woman came forward telling investigators that she had unknowingly been having an affair with Scott Peterson, a sexual relationship that began before Lacey had even disappeared. 
This was 27-year-old massage therapist from Fresno named Amber Fry. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. Huh. She didn't know what was happening, honestly. It's not her fault. I mean, Scott's amazing, right? Oh, sure. Well, he got both of them. He looked amazing. No, he didn't even look that amazing. I mean, he he knew what he, he could work with, and he worked with it very well. Okay. I guess kind of tall, dark, and handsome. Right. Scott had told Amber that he, quote unquote, lost his wife the previous Christmas. Oh, that's weird. So he was saying he was coming up on a one-year anniversary of his wife's passing. And his wife had just disappeared. So what are the chances that you're telling this affair girl that your wife disappeared on Christmas and now your wife is missing on Christmas? Right. What a prick. That's crazy. Yeah. Amber had just happened to see Scott on the news asking for information on his missing wife. He had to know that she was going to see that, right? Or find out. If he did this, I don't think he realized how much it was going to explode in the media. I think he thought it would be more of like a local missing woman's case, not a national woman's or missing woman's case. So I don't think he thought it would travel outside of Stanislaus or Modesto, not into Fresno. So he didn't think that her family would make a big deal over her disappearance? I don't think so. Well, that's weird. I know. Why wouldn't they? Exactly. And she was so close to her mom. She was very close to her family. So for him to think that he would be able to keep this undercover or under wraps from Amber. Hey, Lacey's family. Um, I don't know where she went. Uh, we're disappeared. Can't find her. And then her family goes, yeah, that's weird. Huh. Oh, well. <laughs> Next. Of course not. No. They're going to f- spend the rest of their life trying to figure it out. Absolutely. They would. Cops have. or no cops. They're going to try. And f- that. That's what you would do. Ugh. I know. It's frustrating. Amber recorded several phone conversations with Scott for the police. So she became an informant. Ooh. Yeah, she's okay, pretty good. cool. Good Actually, for her. I'm going to do an episode just on Amber, and I've been planning on that. I've read her book a couple times. So look for that, guys. Gals. Gals. One phone call, Scott said that he was calling Amber from Paris, but in fact, he was attending a candlelit vigil for Lacey in Modesto. What? Yeah. So he left her message. He talked to her. Talked to her. And said, I'm staring at the Eiffel Tower, and I wish you were here, and I miss you. Why the hell would he be in Paris? For work. He told her he was there for work. And then actually, he's standing with Lacey's family at a candlelit vigil for Lacey. Talking to his affair. Talking to Amber. Talking to the affair girl. Yeah, but she's recording it for the police. Oh, my gosh. I know, wild. I keep saying wild. That's like my name, my new favorite word. Wild. On January 24th of 2003, Amber Fry, along with her attorney, held a press conference and told the world about Scott Peterson's indiscretions before the disappearance of Lacey. So she kind of tried him in the court of public opinion before it went to trial. He very much was. But I think also Amber was pissed. Oh, yeah, I would be. Yeah, and she's like, you know what? I'm Well, in reading her book, she was pissed and she was hurt. So all she wanted to do was to help 
Lacey's family find her and to tell Mm -hmm. the world what kind of guy Scott really was. Gotcha. He wasn't this bereaved husband. He actually had played her while he was playing Lacey at the same time. He was a giant steaming pile of T-Rex poop in Jurassic Park. Absolutely. But just because you're a big steaming pile of Jurassic Park poop doesn't mean you're a murderer. No. It doesn't. So we'll get into that. It was also reported that Scott had had two affairs before meeting Amber Fry. While married? While married to Lacey. How the hell does he have so much time? I don't know. He would drive around for work. He was a fertilizer salesman. So he would drive around to the farms and things like that. Okay, to get off on a quick tangent, I ran into a farmer out here and they were talking about how the real money is in fertilizer sales. Have you heard that before? I've never heard that before, but I was looking at how much he had been making at the time. They make so much money and they don't do an effing thing. Maybe you should become a fertilizer salesman. Yeah, they just... (laughs) Or I should. They don't even do anything. They just go to the farmers and say, hey, you need this nitric dioxide, something, something, whatever it's called to make your, you know, squash bigger. I don't know. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, you want me to put you down for 700 million tons of that? Uh, uh, Okay. And then that's it. Yeah. And Scott seems like he would be a really good salesman. Yeah. He could definitely sell fertilizer. Oh, yeah. Fertilizer is made from poop, right? It depends. It's made from a lot of stuff. I have been to a fertilizer supply location in farmland. And all the guys there are driving the nicest new pickups and they sit in an office (laughs) and they have like what you would call like farmer dress shirts on. Mm -hmm. And they just, that's it. They're like car salesmen, but they have like jeans and a nice shirt on. I went into the wrong business. Oh yeah. And they just make calls and they, all right, we're going to send, you know, whatever this, I can't even think. Well, I was alluding into the joke of Scott sold poop. He did. Living. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, now we're about to get really serious. All right. Good. On April 13th, the body of an infant was found washed ashore from the San Francisco Bay in the area of Richmond Inner Harbor. Oh. The next day, the body of what was quickly discovered to be that of Lacey washed up on the shoreline of Point Isabel Regional Park which is a mile from where the baby was found, who was identified as Lacey's son, Connor. Okay. Now, they were found near the Berkeley Marina, where Scott had told investigators he'd launched his boat the day she disappeared. Okay, can I interject real quick? Yeah. Because it's bothering me. Of course. Okay, so I'm sitting here looking at a map, because I was trying to picture in my head where we went sturgeon fishing. And I was right. It was actually in the Susun Bay, which is northeast of the San Francisco Bay. Okay. And you never actually enter the San Francisco Bay. We actually launched off of the Susun Bay and then went north into the sloughs that feed into Susun Bay. And Susun Bay feeds into the San Francisco Bay. So for him to go to all the way to Berkeley... Doesn't make any sense at all. To go sturgeon fishing. To go sturgeon fishing. No way. And that is like a super busy like shipping harbor. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be out there in a little aluminum boat. 
it would no, he'd never go. It would be such a long way to get there. So unless there's some magic spot, maybe I've just never heard of that before. Okay. Scott was arrested seven days later on April 18th in La Jolla near his parents' home in San Diego. Mm. And it's really pronounced La Jolla. I know. I was joking. Made me uncomfortable. I know. Did you think I was going to stop when I said La Jolla? If you didn't, I would have gotten up and left. (laughs) Yeah, he was in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. It's such a dumpy place. I mean, it is. If you guys are looking for a place to move. Not La Jolla. you You don't have a lot of money. Oh my gosh, you can get such a nice place there for almost nothing. Nope, uh, nope, not a chance. Oh boy. I think it's one of the most expensive places to live it in is. California, which then makes it the, one of the most expensive places to live. In the world. All over the place. <laughs> in but, the country. But it's worth it. Is it though? Oh my gosh, the climate, the It thing, wasn't worth it to uh, Dan stuff. and Betty Broderick. <laughs> You know what, though? It's not La Jolla. It's them. Uh, I know. I'm teasing. Okay, let's get back to this. All Hurry right. up. Investigators had put a tracker on Scott's car. That's how they found him. Then he was arrested and charged with two counts of murder. Now, found in his car is what authorities call Scott's go bag. So what they found was his brother's ID, almost $15,000 in cash, 24 packs of sleeping pills, 12 tablets of Viagra, MapQuest directions to Amber Fry's work, four cell phones, a dagger, a hand shovel, climbing rope, fillet knife, duct tape, water purifier, leather gloves, two folding knives, camping gear and stove, and a bunch of clothes and gear. Now, I found the list of everything that was found in his car, and I think I'm going to post it because it's really wild what was found in his car, because all of it looked like he was going to run. He was about to run. And you're about, you're less than an hour away from Tijuana, from the border of Mexico. Yeah, it's not a long drive. So they really needed to find him after the bodies washed ashore because they knew he was going to take off. Wow. And he had grown out a goatee and colored his hair blonde. Was his brother blonde? I don't think so. Oh. I think they were all kind of darker, but it was his gotcha. half brother. So he could have been, I don't know. I didn't look up his brother, but he looked like he was ready to go. Why else would you have $15,000 in cash? Um, Tijuana strip clubs? I don't know. Maybe. Um, yeah. He had four cell phones, a bunch of credit cards, some in his name, some in his sister's name, his mom's name. Wow. Yeah. Huh. What's with all the Viagra and the sleeping pills? I don't know. But why did he have Amber Fry's work address or a map quest to Amber Fry's work? Those of you who are young and don't know who MapQuest is, you used to have to go <laughs> yeah. on your computer and type in an address and print out directions to wherever you were going to go. That was called MapQuest. And those of you that are really young, there were these things called maps. <laughs> <laughs> and those things were paper Ooh. and you had to unfold them. And when you were done, you had to fold them a specific way or you messed them all up. You're sounding very sarcastic. You're going to hurt our young fans feelings. I'm not. I'm being informative. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> and you would have to follow along on the map and read. <laughs> it wouldn't be some chick telling you turn right at the next stop sign. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, 
So they're thinking he's going to run. And he's telling them that he was actually on his way to Torrey Pines Golf Course to go golfing. And that's why he had his brother's ID so that he could use his brother's membership at Torrey Pines. And they would just assume he is his brother? I guess, but there weren't any golf clubs in his car. There was everything else. Maybe he was going to buy something. Maybe. He was going to rent a set. With that $15,000 in cash. Sure. You could get a decent set for fifteen grand. Okay. I think. I think you can get a really decent yeah. set for that much yeah. money. Maybe not if you buy it at Torrey Pines Golf Club, but you know. On November 12th, 2004, Scott Peterson was convicted of the first degree murder with special circumstances for killing Lacey and the second degree murder for killing baby Connor. And this all happened in San Mateo County. It was not tried in Stanislaus County because they didn't think they could get a fair trial in Stanislaus. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Which makes sense. Actually, I don't think there was a human being in California that didn't know about the Scott Peterson case or Lacey Peterson Or at least in passing. Yeah. Oh, is he the one that killed, that murdered his wife and threw her in the bay? And she was pregnant? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. On December 13th, Scott was sentenced to death and sent to death row in San Quentin State Prison. In August of 2020, as a result of Scott's appeal, the California Supreme Court overturned his death sentence Mm. because his right to a fair trial and impartial jury were violated. That's a hard one to argue because everyone knew this case Mm -hmm. in California. They really did, you guys. This was huge here. So how could they possibly try a case like that and not come up with that response? I don't know. Where are you going to try it? Exactly. Where can you try it? Can you take it out of state? Right. Can you take it out of the country? You can't. So what do you do? You move counties? (laughs) That's it? You ask an isolated tribe in the Congo or something that have never seen the rest of the world. And you go, hey, here's what happened. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think you can do that. No, probably Mm. not. In December of 2021, Peterson was re-sentenced to life in prison and is now housed at Mule Creek State Prison east of Sacramento. Oh, fun. Prosecutors argued during the trial that Lacey was killed by Scott in their home late in the evening on December 23rd or early in the morning of December 24th, then put her body in his new aluminum fishing boat that he actually kept at his work and drove to the Berkeley Marina, tied four homemade concrete anchors to her body and pushed her overboard. During the day, in the San Francisco Bay. I feel like someone would see that. Me too. However, with all the other stuff going on in the bay, a little tiny boat is very inconspicuous. That's true. I mean, it's very busy out there. Yeah. And they're not paying attention to a little aluminum boat. No. I mean, he could have like kind of just a bunch of stuff. And when no, if there's no one near, unless someone's watching with a telescope or binoculars, no one's going to notice. Yeah. And, and then he goes away. No one's going to pay any attention to a guy in a little boat. You know what I mean? Like a big, big, I huge wouldn't. boat leaving. Yeah, you wouldn't, yeah. Even, you wouldn't even notice. No. No physical evidence was found in the home or on her body 
but circumstantial evidence led to the state suggesting strangulation. So when her body washed ashore, really what was left was just a torso. Yeah. And part of a leg. Unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff in the bay. There is. And the tides. They're nuts. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the currents. That's what I meant. I'm sure people have watched the 700 million documentaries on Alcatraz. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking um, of that. The chances of something staying in the same spot is zero. Right. And the bottom of the bay is not flat. It's all over. It's up and down. It's deep. It's shallow. It, it's pretty bad. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on down there. The autopsy report done on Lacey and Connor has been sealed, but the court records are not sealed. So if you wanted more information, the court documents are available. But I don't really want to go into it, you guys. It was just, ugh. It's just horrible. I read a little bit of it, and then I just kind of had to stop. So Scott has always proclaimed his innocence in the murder of Lacey and their unborn son. And according to Scott's appeal records, it is believed that Lacey went out for a walk with the couple's dog and was taken against her will. And that the neighbors who lived directly across the street from the Petersons, their house was being robbed by two men, Stephen Todd and Donald Pierce, at that exact time that she went out for a walk. They were arrested for the burglary on January 2nd. The men told the police that they robbed the neighbor's house on the 26th of December, but the street was a media circus by the 25th. News vans and police cars lined the street, so they would not have robbed that house on the 26th. The only day that they would have robbed it and gotten away with it would have been the 24th. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, of all the places to rob. Right. That's weird. During a jailhouse phone call between two unrelated brothers, one of the men mentioned that Lacey had seen Todd and Pierce at the neighbor's home while they were robbing the house. She had even walked up to Stephen Todd and he had verbally threatened her, but no mention of whether or not the brothers knew if Todd and Pierce had kidnapped Lacey and eventually murdered her. But, (laughs) but... The recorded tape no longer exists. Oh. It's gone. Where'd it go? They don't know. All they're going on is one of the correctional officers that heard it. Oh, okay. Or someone that worked within that jail. So they're saying these two dudes robbed the house, saw her out walking the dog. She walked up to the house to confront them. Oh, okay. Eight months pregnant with her dog. That she walked up to a house that's being robbed to confront the burglars. Well, who's saying that? The defense? The ad- defense team. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're trying to give some reasonable doubt here. And of course, they're not reputable because they were they were arrested for the burglary. Well, they never said. They never admitted to but, seeing her or anything. Right, that's but they what I'm had saying. told yeah. friends who then during a jailhouse phone call, one of their friends had said something to his brother about it. Okay. Yeah. And they just happened to take her and dump her in the bay right about the time that the husband just happened to also go all the way there in his aluminum boat to go sturgeon fishing, which is impossible. And then it all, no, 
that the likelihood of all those things happening is zero. Yeah. But I can't prove it. No, there is no proof. But some people also believe that she might have been kept alive for a while and then killed and then dumped in the San Francisco Bay because that's where Scott said that he was. So kind of framing Scott for her murder. Okay. But who would hate him so much to do that? So someone would have to know that he's going. No, or heard him say that. Yeah, that's what I mean. On the news. Know know that he went and then dumped her body there. And then hated him so much or wanted to, you know, frame him for this murder that they kept her alive and then killed her and then dumped her body. Can I throw out another one possibility since we're just guessing? Well, yeah, but I mean, I have more to say, but yeah, go ahead. You don't think it's possible that she finally realized that he's a big cheater and confronted him about that. Uh, And then he threw a fit and then choked her out because she's like (laughs) screaming at him and wouldn't stop screaming at him. And she's losing it because she's pregnant. So she's even a hundred times more emotional than she would have been. Okay. Well, let me finish this. Okay. Okay. Uh, You're, you're there, darling. You're there. The story of her walking up to the house as it's being robbed. Now it would explain a possible sighting of what might have been Lacey in the afternoon between the hours of 2 and 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. A couple saw a very pregnant woman with short brown hair squatting and peeing outside of a white van with a stripe down the side, parked on the side of a road. She looked very scared. And a scruffy-looking guy stood over her, and another set of arms came out of the van and pulled the woman back inside. Now, this couple never called the police or wrote down the license plate number. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. A tip line was set up where more than 20 people had called saying that they had seen a woman fitting Lacey's description walking a dog around the area of the Peterson home. Some even said that they knew for sure it was Lacey. If the sightings were legitimate, Lacey was alive the morning of the 24th after Scott had left the home to go fishing. Now, three witnesses said that they saw her walking around the neighborhood with the dog. And two who didn't know Lacey personally, and one who knew Lacey and said she saw her walking her dog. Hmm. Now, some people are certain that Scott murdered Lacey, and others believe that he was framed. Lacey was kept alive murdered, and then she and Connor's bodies were placed around the area Scott said he had been at, basically framing him for murder. But why? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody keep her alive? Probably would have given birth to the baby. And there's all these autopsy findings, and people like to say things about the way that Connor's body looked and the way that Lacey's body looked. You know, we're all a bunch of armchair investigators. Mm Mm-hmm trying to tell these medical examiners what we think, right? We who have no experience in what they're doing. I know people can get it wrong. Medical examiners can get it wrong. But from what they're saying, that's not what happened. Okay. And when was her body discovered? And the babies? April. So a few months later. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot later. Yeah, she'd been in that water for a while. And the baby. I don't, I know, I probably should go into the autopsy. I just don't want to, you guys. I just, I don't need that right now. So because allegedly she was tossed in with weights holding her down. Yeah. Like concrete blocks. So the areas that are missing could possibly have been where the weights were tied to. 
Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. And with the current and everything going on in the bay, it's not a far stretch to think that her body would decompose badly in that water and that whatever it's tied to, those anchors are tied to, would eventually come apart. Well, and they'd be in the mud. Yeah. So you'd never find them. No, they'd probably still There's be There's so much junk and crap and mud and f- stuff in that bay. There's and no boats. way you would never find anything down there. Right. Um, and not to mention, you'd have to search a huge area because you have no idea. It's a giant area. It, if it, none of you have been out to San Francisco Bay, it's huge. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Even what? if he did, even if he said, yeah, I tied her body to blocks and threw her over, but I'm not going to tell you where, they still wouldn't figure it out. There's no, it's not, no chance. But for Connor to wash up on shore and Lacey to wash up on shore down from the marina, the Berkeley Marina, where he said he launched his boat. That's a very unfortunate coincidence. Yeah. If it is a, well, yeah. I mean, what an idiot, right? Right. But if he, if you, if you tied down a body and threw it over, it's like Dexter. Yeah, but he was smarter. Well, (laughs) because it was written in that he'd be smarter in this TV show. (laughs) Right. No, but so she wouldn't have floated to the surface for quite some time. That's the sad part. It would take a while for everything to break down. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's sharks. There is. There's big sharks mm-hmm. out there, too. There's big fish in the bay. Oh, goodness. Including sturgeon. But Pre- they're, prehistoric. Yeah, and they're giant. In my extra research... I did find a pretty cool timeline of the events of the day that Lacey went missing. So I'm going to read it. I think it's really fascinating. And it's from the Court TV website. All right. So we're just going to go through the day of December 24th. At 7 a.m., Scott told investigators that Lacey woke up, put her blue pajama pants she was wearing in the hamper, and then showered. 8.30 to 8.45... Lacey shopped online for a red gap scarf, and she also purchased a sunflower umbrella stand. Scott said that Lacey told him that morning that she planned to make French toast for a family dinner set to take place that night. Scott also told police that Lacey had curled her hair that morning, and an evidence photo showed a curling iron plugged into the couple's bathroom. 9.20 a.m. to 9.40 a.m. During roughly this time frame, Scott was seen loading three umbrellas into his truck. Scott told police that Lacey was watching a Martha Stewart program about meringue. And it turned out that meringue was, in fact, mentioned at exactly 9.48 a.m. on that television show. Okay. According to Scott, Lacey asked him to fill up a bucket so that she could mop. 9.50 a.m., Scott drove to his warehouse to get his aluminum fishing boat, and it was going to be the first time that he took this out on the water. Now, if it's the first time taking out on to the water, why are you going to take it to the San Francisco Bay? I don't know. You would go someplace smaller. I would think so. Yeah. I don't think of aluminum boat and San Francisco Bay in the same sentence. No. 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., Scott spent about an hour at the warehouse answering emails and researching on the internet. At 10.18 a.m., a neighbor of the Petersons told investigators that she had found the Petersons' dog wandering alone with her leash on, so she let the dog into the Petersons' backyard. So the dog had a leash on, and Lacey was seen walking the dog. Okay, so almost like she disappeared but not the dog, and the dog was left... Unattended. Unattended. 
11.15 a.m., Scott drives to the Berkeley Marina, and it is a one-hour and 37-minute trip. At 12.54 p.m., Scott gets a boat ticket at the Berkeley Marina, so he really was there. Okay. At 3.25 p.m., Scott gets gas. At 3.52 p.m., Scott calls Lacey again but does not leave a voicemail. At 4.30 p.m. to 4.45 p.m., Scott says he arrives home during this time. Lacey is gone. Scott found the dog in the backyard. Scott also told police that when he got home, Lacey's green Land Rover was in the driveway and her purse and keys were still at the home. He says he figured Lacey's mom had picked her up and that she was at her mother's house. And then he says he put his clothes in the washer, took a shower, and listened to his voicemails. At 5.17, Scott calls Lacey's mother and asks if Lacey is with them. At 5.47, Ron, who's her stepdad, reported Lacey missing. At 6 p.m., police arrive and Scott starts knocking on neighbors' doors to ask if they've seen Lacey. Huh. So that's the timeline of the day. Gotcha. So he's going to drive all the way to the San Francisco Bay to fish for sturgeon for maybe a little over an hour and then turn around and drive all the way home. Very odd to me. (sighs) That doesn't make any sense. I got a new little aluminum boat. You know where I would go? Where? Closest small lake. Yeah, just to try it out. Absolutely. To try out the new motor, too. You got to work the bugs out of it. Mm -hmm. See what you need. It's cold. Yeah, it's December. Yeah, that just is weird to me. I know. That does not sound right. I had a feeling that that would be the part that you would marinate on a little bit. Why would you go all the way to the bay Christmas Eve? You couldn't pay me to drive to the Bay Area, much less put a boat in the water. No. On Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve. Yeah, nailed it. No way. uh -uh. With, With my pregnant wife? At home. At home, who's about to pop? No. Zero. No No way. Negative. Not a chance. Well, it has been said many times that the case was so compelling because the Petersons were such a good-looking couple. It made for pretty pictures in the magazines and on television. The all-American couple next door. And raised the question, how well do we know our relatives, friends, and or neighbors? and what really goes on behind closed doors. Scott took a pleasure-seeking approach to life, which in turn made Scott extremely self-absorbed. Now, these aren't coming from me. These aren't my opinions. These are the things that I'm telling you from the smart people who wrote this book. These are the established opinions of the smarter people. Yes, but I did find this fascinating, and so I really wanted to share the information that I read with all of you. He demanded that his own satisfactions be met above everyone else's. Scott had the classic narcissist and sociopathic personality features that made him dangerous, especially to Lacey. What she and everyone else did not know at first was that his ability to tolerate frustration was no better than a toddler's. If he was told no, he had the potential to fly into a rage and then imagine annihilating the outside source of that rage. Now, I'm going to read kind of an analysis of Scott real fast. 
Scott exhibited several characteristics which, in retrospect, seem all the more alarming. His approach to life was short-sighted, and he had poor judgment and planning skills. He sought immediate and easy pleasure and avoided pain whenever he could. When his behavior was not tolerated, he thought nothing of lying, hiding, suppressing, or disguising his self-serving approach to life. His charismatic social presence helped to camouflage his moral impairments. His charm was the equivalent of a local anesthetic to help ease the pain he invariably caused. Such characteristics are a recipe for disaster if they aren't dealt with at an early age. In Scott Peterson's case, the combination turned deadly. Wow. I know. Men who follow through with killing their wives have typically never killed before and more than likely will never kill again. If Scott didn't want Lacey dead, then who did? That's the question. Who else would have wanted her dead? Yeah, if not him, then who? Right. His actions after her disappearance were telling. Very little emotion, concern seemed false and badly acted, and he never shed a tear. Or like the teardrops running down his face. People never saw that. These are signs of people with antisocial personality disorders. Hmm. He tried to sell the house right after Lacey disappeared and her car. And he even ordered pornographic videos, which they said Lacey would never have agreed to that or let him do that. Well, she's gone. Well, I know. But before that, before she left. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he took that time to order the porn. Gotcha. Scott's motive. He did not really want to be a husband or a father. Scott wanted his freedom. He was spoiled and overly indulged by his parents and half-siblings. No one ever said no to him. He Hmm. was the baby. This gave Scott the idea that he deserved whatever he desired. And if he wasn't getting what he wanted, he would lie and manipulate, having multiple affairs. Scott was disenchanted with upcoming fatherhood, still emotionally a child himself. Lacey's pregnancy was more her want and desire and not his. She was ready to jump into the next phase of their lives. He was not. Her pregnancy made him feel trapped, edgy, and ultimately violent. Plus, Lacey had changed. She was no longer lenient of his flaws and imperfections, demanding more from him, and he hated it. In the book, Till Death Do Us Part, it is believed that Lacey had been seeing Scott's cheating signs and had found out about his newest affair. She was no longer willing to protect him, and she finally put her foot down. To Scott, she was now trying to stop him from being free. Lacey was now saying no. Oh. Especially with the baby on the way, Scott knew she meant it this time. So he chose his freedom, and in a fit of uncontrollable anger and rage, Lacey was dead. Hmm. Now, there is another case connected with the temper tantrum killer, but I'm going to do that as a regular Till Death Do Us Part podcast episode, hopefully next week. So I'm going to save that one because this one was pretty long. Now, Daniel, what did you think of my case? It's interesting about the person who thinks they saw her out walking a dog. There was a bunch of them. Because there's always people out walking dogs. Mm -hmm. And when you 
fill in details with things you want to see. It's hard to get eyewitness and proof unless you actually took pictures, which then it's creepy, you know, that you're taking pictures of girls out walking dogs, but especially pregnant ones, because you're going to go, oh, you know what? I did see. I think I saw a woman out walking a dog. Oh, did she have blonde hair? You know what? I think she did or whatever hair color she had. Brown. Brown hair. Yeah, Yeah, I think I did see her with brown hair. Well, most people have brownish hair. Well, one of the witnesses said that it struck him as odd that she was out walking her dog because she only had a t-shirt on. She didn't have a sweatshirt or a jacket on and it was 40 degrees. And she's pregnant. And she's pregnant. No. So that struck him as odd. Yeah. So that's what left that lasting impression in his head. And then another one said that the color of her golden retriever looked like his dog. So that made him stop and look and like, oh, that looks like so-and-so. Hmm. So there were certain things that happened that kind of triggered people to okay. remember her or yeah. somebody who looked like her. And this is a residential area. This was kind of up and coming. This was a family area. So yeah, I don't. It's odd. Yeah. That, although the house next door was broken into. Right across the street. Or whatever, where it was. Close. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of creepy. And especially on Christmas Eve, 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 or whatever. No, it was, was Christmas Eve. It was the 24th. When it was broken into? When they say it was broken into. Okay. But the guys who broke into it said they didn't break into it until the 26th. But there's no way they would have waited till the 26th because the street was full of people and cop cars and media yeah. vans. They never would have broken into that house if there were no. all those people around. No. There's a lot of activity. Yeah. And typically someone's going to scope out the neighborhood before. Like Home Alone. Yeah. No, I always read that, you know, that people start seeing these cars that don't belong in the neighborhood and it's people scoping out neighborhoods. Especially Absolutely. this time of the year. It's really bad. Uh, scary. And people out on bikes that don't belong, they're scoping neighborhoods. They're looking, and then they mm-hmm. come back later. Well, I'm not going to ask you if you think he did it or not. There's a lot more to this case. A lot of people have different, differing opinions, and that's okay. I, all I know is that a lovely woman was once again murdered, and she's pregnant, and she just had her whole life ahead of her. And she was murdered and her body just thrown away and her baby's body just thrown away. That sucks. And that's what we need to focus on is Lacey and that the number one killer of pregnant women is their spouses. I don't know if there's a statistic for people that are trying to kidnap women on the street, but I can't think a pregnant woman who's about to pop with a dog is a target. But I don't know. I I don't yeah. I don't know what crazy people fail. Yeah, what what they want. But I guess the question is, if she truly was recognized after he already left for the bay, well, then obviously he's innocent. So, and there really isn't physical evidence tying him to the case because that crime scene, if he killed her, would have been in that house. But there's no evidence. So then what? There's no physical evidence, circumstantial evidence, and people's hatred of him. Okay. 12 jurors hated Scott Peterson, I'm sure, before the trial even started. Yeah. Just the fact that he was calling his girlfriend on the side Mm -hmm. while he's at a candlelight vigil thing. That was huge. That's very telling. Amber Fry was probably the lead witness for the prosecution. And she got up on the stand and 
told there was no going back so even if he didn't do it he is a giant steaming pile of fertilizer his character was he could have yeah because he could have his wife be missing and his unborn child doesn't care he'd rather call his girlfriend on the side while that's happening i mean that's very telling I would want to, even if he wasn't guilty, I'd still want to find him guilty just to teach him a lesson. Or to teach other men like him a lesson. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In my mind, it's justified just because of that. Hmm. Like, what a giant piece of crap. And his family still 100% stands behind him. He did not do this. And And they are forgiving of him calling his girlfriend on the side while his wife and baby are missing? It sounds like it. And he doesn't care? Sounds like it. Why would you associate with someone like that? I don't care if they're family or not. That's who he is. Yeah, deep in his core, that's who he is. He does not deserve to use up the air. No, and he definitely did not deserve Lacey. No, of course not. No. All right, well, I did a poll on Instagram, and out of almost 300 followers who answered my poll, 87% voted yes that Scott Peterson did murder Lacey. Okay. 2% said no. Okay. And 11% said they go back and forth on his guilt, which I'm sure depends on whatever, you know, new documentary comes out or a new podcast comes out that they listen to, because I have a tendency to do that too. So the two that said no are probably like we're talking about, they go, well, technically there's no... There's no physical evidence. There's no physical evidence. Tying him to this case or tying him to her murder. Yeah. Those are the people you want on the jury. Yeah. It's very suspicious, but we can't prove it. It's not illegal to be a piece of crap. Mm -mm. And we've learned that so many times throughout doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. Is it just because you're a piece of crap and you cheat on your wife or your husband doesn't necessarily make you a murderer? No, it doesn't. Or it doesn't make you a murderer. And it doesn't make you go serve jail time, prison, or anything. Hmm. Welcome to America where you can be... An absolute giant pile of crap, and nothing will happen to you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Actually, no. In this case, he went to prison. So he did go to go. prison, yeah. So but guess now he's not on death row. Now true. he's just life in prison with no possibility of parole. You want to hear a funny side note? Yeah. I've been to San Quentin twice. I know you have. Oh, how did you know? I think you told me you oh, have. Oh, okay. Yeah. What were you doing there? That was for work. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had a job there. <laughs> it wasn't on- You're not a lawyer. It wasn't it. No. It wasn't in the main facility where the inmates are. It was actually for the officers. They have little houses. Oh, okay. Where they live. So Uh they actually live on site there. Oh. Yeah. I guess I never looked into that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, good job, babe. You kept them running. It's almost like military housing. That's what I'm picturing in my head right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And San Quentin is in the most prime real estate ever because it's a peninsula that sticks out off of Point Marin into the bay. And it takes up that whole end of the <sighs> land. It's it's priceless property. And it's and a they, maximum and they security have a, prison. <laughs> a, they should have that place out here. In the middle of yeah, Central Valley. Bad, bad air. It's hot in the summer. <laughs> we got a lot of prisons out here in the Central do. Valley. We do. So they should transfer it. They should put that place way out in the desert, in the high desert, and sell off that land. Oh, my God. They'd make billions of dollars. Turn it into condos. Whatever. (laughs) Seriously, it would be the most unbelievable views because you're in the middle of the bay, views everywhere. 
It's amazing. Okay. Well, some of our listeners actually knew some of the Peterson family and believe that there's no way that he could have done it. Okay. All right. That's fine. My information on the temper tantrum killer came from the book that I've been doing the series on, Till Death Do Us Part, and a little outside research on the Peterson case. And there's a thousand other true crime podcasts that have done this case before. So if you need more, you just type in Scott Peterson on your search bar and they will all pop up. And there's also a bunch of documentaries and stuff on streaming services. So have fun with that. And so I did it. I'm proud of myself. Good job. I did the Lacey Peterson case, and now I'm going to need to take a shower, Mm -hmm. decompress from this, and then move on. He's like 52 now, too. Is he still cute? Uh, I want to punch him in the face. Well, we don't know for sure that he did. I still want to punch him in the face. That's true. I do, too. No, he looks old. I bet he did get punched in the face already. Probably. He looks old. I mean, yeah, it looks... 52. Yeah. Um, they probably don't let him bring Viagra in there. Probably not. But he does do very well with uh, women with as the ladies? pen pals. Yeah, oh. That's what I've also read about. Mm-hmm. Stop. There's women that write him? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. That is not... I mean, it's fascinating, but it's weird. What's with the fascination for... The men in prison. I don't I don't know, but I should do a bonus episode about that because that is crazy stories. I don't expect you to be honest and answer this question honestly, but do you ever feel like drawn to say a man in prison? No. Is that at all a turn on? No. Even if we got divorced, say like next year. No. Next year. Would you year. be like, you know, God, just a Tough guy in prison covered in tattoos really does it for me. Okay, look at me in my face. Okay. Do I look like that type of person? Probably not. No. No. (laughs) Daniel MacArthur, (laughs) how dare you? I wonder if it goes both ways. I wonder if guys outside of prison are writing to women in prison. Yes, I had a friend that I grew up with and she's in prison for something horrible. And I looked her up and it's her, I guess like PO box or, and you can email her if you're interested in a correspondence. And she has guys that write her? I'm pretty sure. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. I wasn't going to write her or anything, but. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's fascinating. I'll do a bonus episode on that or a palate cleanser because it's probably the excitement factor. Probably. Or it's the easy factor. You don't have to literally deal with this person. You just have to be kind of a pen pal and it gives you something to do. I think it's excitement. All Mm. right. Well, anyways, this is a horrible case. And um, thank you all for listening. And we hope you're enjoying these little teasers. If you want to call Scott and Lacey a tease. Ugh. All right, bad choice of words. I don't know. Well, be careful. For marriage is a life sentence. And divorce is always the better option. Yeah, start with that. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.